Welcome to New Covenant Church. You are listening to this week's message with Senior Pastor Chris Valdez. Father, I pray that we really are making room for you in our heart, in our soul, Lord. That we're clearing out all the garbage. Everything that was of us. I pray that we're repenting of of all of our sins, Lord, of every place that we've failed, of every time that we've put ourselves or other things in front of you, Lord, that we haven't put you first, Lord. Forgive us. Forgive me. I pray there would be room for you and only you in my life and in my heart. I thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord, that time and time and time again you forgive us. You restore us. You revive us. You refresh us, Lord. Not because we deserve it, not because we earned it, but because you love us. And your grace and your mercy is new every morning. Lord, we give you all glory and all honor and all praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We are so glad that you are with us this morning. If you're a guest, welcome. I'd love to have an opportunity to meet you. Uh, I've started hanging out in the foyer over on the right-hand side after the service. If you'd like to just say hi and introduce yourself, I'd love that opportunity after the service. Well, this morning we're finishing up a series that we started three weeks ago, or I guess four weeks ago, uh, called Old Church Revival, New Melody. And one of the things that we started out talking about was that God does things in a new way, in a fresh way, and, and about how revivals are actually for the church. And I was, I've been very clear that, that we're not having a revival. We didn't schedule a revival. That's actually something that we're not able to do. Uh, that's something that God chooses when and how he comes and manifests himself in his presence. And uh, our part is to simply seek him and to pray and, and to repent, you know, where we've, where we've fallen short. And he shows up. And one of the wonderful things about God and one of the most frustrating things about God is that he doesn't do things the same. And just to be clear, God doesn't change and his word doesn't change. And scripture is very clear about that. But the ways that God chooses to speak with us in a given time or situation and in the manner that he manifests his presence with his people and the world are always fresh and unique. If he did things as as, uh, like a paint-by-number set or the instructions to an Ikea uh, bookcase, you know, (laughs) insert slot A into slot B and hope you can find the 23 screws, you know, that connect it. But we think that we can, if we just follow the instructions, if we just follow that plan, then we'll, we'll have it all together. God doesn't work that way because he knows if he did, we wouldn't have a relationship with him. We would just check off the boxes and say, okay, I did my part, now I can go my merry way. God designed his relationship with us as a relationship. We have to stay connected. We have to stay in conversation with him. We have to stay in in prayer and seeking him or we won't know what to do. We won't know where to go. This idea has been at the core of this whole series. The body of Christ needs a revival 
But God has to do it, and our only hope is to seek Him. And to remember that when He does come, He's going to come in a new, fresh way that will almost certainly be different than all of our expectations. We're going to look at the definition of revival one more time. It says, a restoration to use, acceptance, activity, or vigor after a period of inactivity or obscurity. This definition just clearly reminds us that revival is for the body of Christ, God's people. In the Old Testament, it was the children of Israel. And he revived them and refreshed them and restored them over and over and over again. And when Jesus came and and lived his life and died on the cross for our sins and rose again and gave us the opportunity through a new covenant to become sons and daughters of God, not just the children of Israel, but all children. From that point forward, there was the body of Christ. And the body of Christ has needed revival, restoration, revitalizing, healing over and over and over again. Because we fall away. And our only hope in those times is that God would revive us. The thing that God impressed on me that got this whole series started is the power of our testimony. The power of sharing what God has done. Hearing people's individual testimonies and testimonies that have impacted the whole body of Christ, it stirs our faith to believe for what God is doing today. In Exodus 10.2, God told Moses that he was delivering them in such a mighty way so that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. We're going to look at more scriptures related to testimonies later, but this particular verse highlights the importance of us telling and retelling to our children and to our grandchildren what the Lord has done, that they might know that He's Lord. And most importantly, that they will have a relationship with Him themselves and experience Him personally and then share their testimony with their children and their grandchildren And even relay the testimony of those that came before from their parents and their grandparents. The specific testimonies that I felt led to share were related to prior moves of God. Revivals that affected the entire body of Christ throughout the world. A revival that restored and revived and refreshed the body of Christ that had come to a place in dire need of reviving. Last Sunday, we talked about some of the events that led up to the Azusa Street Revival. And this morning, I'm going to share a summary of that account of that revival. There's literally whole books wrote about that revival. So if you want to learn more, you can study it yourself. But we talked about the events last week that occurred uh, when Charles Parham started Bethel College uh, in Topeka, Kansas in 1900. Five years after that, in 1905... Charles went to Houston, Texas, where he conducted a series of meetings in Bryan Hall. Local newspapers carried reports of many healings and other charismatic phenomena occurring in those meetings to help prepare and disciple workers to continue what God was doing in Houston. Charles opened a short-term Bible school on January 1st, 1906. While there were a number of important ministers that would emerge from this work in Houston, the most well-known would be William Joseph Seymour. 
He was the pastor of a local black holiness congregation and was especially intrigued by the doctrine of the Holy Spirit baptism, evidenced by speaking in tongues that he had heard Parham was teaching. One thing, I didn't mention this at the first service, but it just occurred to me that William Seymour, I've heard of him and said the, the Azusa Street Revival before, but I didn't realize he was a Texan. <laughs> he came from Texas and was in Houston, and that's actually where he, uh, he went to Los Angeles from there, and then that's when God moved. But, but he started out here, not too far from here. When Seymour learned about the Bible school, Parham had opened in Houston. He applied for enrollment. It was a different world then. Due to the segregation laws at the time, his application posed a little bit of a problem. To get around the restrictions, Parham arranged for Seymour to sit in an adjoining room to the class uh, so that Seymour could participate through an open door between the two rooms. While Seymour did not receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit while attending the school, he did accept what Seymour had, uh, what Parham had taught as biblically accurate. Before the courses were complete, Seymour received a letter from Los Angeles inviting him to pastor a newly formed holiness congregation. He prayed about the opportunity and decided to accept. Parham provided Seymour the train fare for the journey and blessed him. Seymour would only get the chance to preach one sermon in the church that he was called to. When he came back for the evening service that night, the church leaders had padlocked the doors. They didn't agree with his views on the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he had preached on that morning. I'll pause here for a second. Um, so one of the things I mentioned a little bit ago was about our expectations, what we expect or think God's going to do and how he's going to move. And so how many of you would expect that Seymour thought he was going to go to Los Angeles to pastor this church and preach one sermon before he got fired. We'd be thinking, why did you call me here, God? This, you brought me here for nothing. Now what do I do? There really wasn't much that, that it says about him even being too concerned about that. But one of the reasons, I think, is he was such a man of prayer what it says is virtually immediately is a family by the name of Asbury who lived on Bonnie Bray Street invited Seymour to come live with them. At this time, it says Seymour gave himself almost exclusively to prayer. He was consumed with a passionate desire for God. And here's a quote from Seymour during this time. Before I met Parham, such a hunger to have more of God was in my heart that I prayed for five hours a day for two and a half years. I got to Los Angeles, and there the hunger was not less, but more. And I prayed, God, what can I do? And the Holy Spirit said, pray more. But Lord, I'm praying five hours a day now, was his response. But it says, I increased my hours of prayer to seven and prayed on for a year and a half more. I prayed to God to give what Parham preached, the real Holy Ghost and fire with tongues, with love and power of God like the apostles had. I'm going to pause here just a moment. I think we see things like that and see that, you know, this person was praying for five hours a day, then seven hours a day. Or if you read about uh, people in church history uh, that have, have that we still talk about today, you'll hear that they prayed two, three, four hours every day. And and most of our response is just, well, that's crazy. Who has time for that? But one of my favorite quotes is that of Martin Luther. He said, I have so much to do, I can't not pray three hours a day before I start the day. 
They saw the priority, and it's a lie from the pit of hell that says we don't have time to pray. We don't have time not to pray. And one of the evidences of that is the work that God did through Seymour. We're talking about 116 years later. There's power in prayer. God moves in prayer. God hears our prayers. And there's not any time that we spend in prayer that's wasted. So back to the Azusa testimony. So he's praying for this power of God. He said, I was praying for that real Holy Ghost and fire with tongues, with love and power like the apostles had. And it says, while eating supper one evening, Richard Asbury, and that's the, the head of the household that had invited him to stay in their home. He fell from his chair onto the floor and started speaking in tongues. During dinner. So there's a couple of things, once again, not what we'd expect, not where we would expect, not how we would expect. And guess what? God didn't have the Holy Spirit fall upon uh, Seymour. It was on his host. He still didn't get it yet. <laughs> but he was the one praying. He was the one seeking. You're like, well, God, this doesn't make any sense. And God's answer would be, well, I'd never usually do. It's beyond our comprehension, beyond our understanding. So, so he gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And then soon after, others do. And then finally, Seymour. He also experiences the baptism in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. After this, word starts spreading about what is happening on Bonnie Bray Street. Remember, this is just at their home. Large crowds start to gather at their home and in their front yard to the point that there's too many people to gather around in their front yard. And so they're forced to seek out a larger facility. And they move to an empty building at 312 Azusa Street in downtown Los Angeles. The building had most recently been used as a stable and warehouse. They removed the debris and installed rough plank benches and a makeshift pulpit made from wooden shoeboxes. On April 14, 1906, they had their first service and revival fires blazed. The trait that marked the Azusa Street Revival more than anything was prayer. Seymour spent much of his time behind the pulpit with his head inside the top shoebox praying. He didn't even have to preach. He just had his head in the shoebox praying. And the Holy Spirit showed up, and God showed up, and people were transformed. They were set free. They were healed. Lives were changed. Because they hosted the presence of God in prayer. The service was spontaneous. They usually began around mid-morning and would continue to 3 or 4 a.m. the next morning. Someone described a typical service like this. Someone might be speaking. So they did have preaching, but maybe, maybe not, depending on if Parm, or Seymour's head was in the shoebox. But it says, they might be speaking. Suddenly, the Holy Spirit would fall upon the congregation, and God himself would give the altar call. People would rush in mass to the altar to seek God. We simply prayed. The Holy Spirit did the rest. God doing what only God can do. 
He's the one who convicts of sin. The scripture says the Holy Spirit convicts of righteousness and of judgment. He reveals all truth. We can trust Him to do whatever He wants to, to give place for Him to move. The Los Angeles Times reported on the events, and while not always positive, it caught the attention of all the locals. Thousands who were hungry for the outpouring of God's Spirit were baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues, and their lives were transformed. They came from across the United States, Canada, and even around the world, and they would go back to those places taking what they had received, and revival literally broke out throughout the entire world. Visitors coming in said they could feel the spiritual atmosphere change when they got within several blocks of the mission. That wasn't because of the people there. It was because the presence of God was there. The Azusa Street Revival also had an interracial character. All of the races met together at Azusa Street. There was an amazing unity of the Spirit. Frank Bartleman, a journalist, wrote, The color line was washed away in the blood. We need that now more than ever. The original Azusa Street Board of Directors reflected both racial and gender diversity. The revival continued nonstop from 1906 to 1909, and during this time the revival's influence reached around the world. God has revived the body of Christ over and over and over again, and I believe with all my heart He's going to do it again. And I believe He wants to stir our faith by these testimonies. And as we share our testimonies with our children and grandchildren, with family and co-workers, the Holy Spirit will stir their souls to seek Him. I mentioned last week that at the end of this, uh, at the end of October, I'm sorry, I think it's October 30th, we're going to have a fifth Sunday where we're going to share the testimonies of what God has done in New Covenant over its history. And one of the things that just occurred to me and we read in, in Exodus earlier, and I just mentioned it now, about how we're supposed to share those testimonies with our children and grandchildren. And as I said, it just occurred to me as, as, as we were worshiping, the October 30th services, those worship services, are family services. We, we stop our NCC kids services on those days and we bring the kids in. So the kids are going to be with us that day. We're going to share those testimonies with our children and with our grandchildren. And I don't think that's a... That's an accident. God planned that, but we didn't. We weren't thinking about that at the time, but God was. And we'll be fulfilling that scripture that day. They're going to be part of it, and they're going to see it. And that's what we're called to do, is to share the testimony of what God has done in our lives. 1 John 5, 6 says, It's the Holy Spirit who testifies. Starting in verse 6, it says, And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that He has borne concerning His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in Himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. 
Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It doesn't get any simpler than that. If we have Jesus Christ in our life, we have life. That's why He came. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will testify of Christ within us that that's true. Titus 3, 3-7 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. I'm going to stop there for a second. One of the things that we spoke about in the first message was about how in reality, if we were to look around our culture, our world, too often there really isn't a difference between us and the world. Our divorce rate's about the same. Drug addiction rate's about the same. Pornography addiction's about the same. Anger, malice, hatred, about the same. And we talked about what's the difference. I believe the church has literally started preaching a different gospel than the good news of the kingdom of God. Because we had to. Otherwise, we're just hypocrites. We say, we'll become a son or daughter of God. I'll repent of my sins and He'll forgive me. But there's no transformation. There's no life change. There's no difference between me and the rest of the world other than I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, they're going to hell. Because I made a mental ascent. Because I asked Jesus into my heart, but it didn't do anything. And the gospel, the good news of the kingdom that we have preached is that that's okay. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. He delivers. He heals. He restores. He transforms. That's who we serve. And we have to remind ourselves by the testimonies in the Word of God and the testimonies of what God has done through the body of Christ over and over and over again. But we find ourselves as the body of Christ in a sickbed, dying. And the only one that can revive us is God Himself through the power of the Holy Spirit to give us a testimony of what God has done. And then the world will see a difference. And the world will know that yes, there is power in the blood of Jesus Christ. He delivers. He restores. He transforms. Titus 3, 3-7 says, well, we read that first part. <laughs> Verse 4, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. So we could be different. So we could be transformed. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 
We were all lost at one point. Some of us may be lost today, but there is hope in Jesus Christ. He can deliver you. He can make you whole. He can restore you. In Luke 8, we find an account, and you can read this later. I'm just going to summarize this morning. There's an account of Jesus uh, coming upon a man who was filled with demons. When Jesus asked him what his name was, the demons responded. And and the whole conversation Jesus had with this man was with the demons until he was set free. But they said, our name is Legion, because we are many. And they had tormented this man. The Bible says that he ran around with no clothes. They had chained him in caverns, but he would break the chains and he was running around. And all they knew was that he was uncontrollable and a lunatic. And the demons knew what Jesus was about to do, and they, they started to make a deal with him. They said, please, don't send us into the abyss. There was a, a, a herd of pigs on the ledge of a cliff, and they said, can you send us in those? And so Jesus said, yeah, you can go in the pigs. And they went into the pigs, and the pigs ran over the cliff, and the, they all drowned. And then it says the man was left in his sound mind hole at the feet of Jesus. Jesus had set him free. The pig herders ran away to the city, terrified of what they had just seen. They gave a testimony of what they had just seen. The rest of the town comes, and it says they were afraid. They didn't know what to do or what had just happened. And they asked Jesus to go. That was their response. And Jesus didn't argue. It says he just started to get in the boat. And said, okay, y'all, I'll see you later. But the man begged to go with Jesus. And he said, let me go with you. But here's Jesus' response. Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Jesus said, I don't have to stay here. You can share the gospel of the kingdom. You declare what the Lord has done for you. You've been set free. You've been made whole. You're healed. And tell everybody about it. And if they believed, then they were saved as well and set free as well. There's power in the name of Jesus Christ, in the life of Jesus Christ, as much now as there was that day. And God still works. God still heals. And I want to stir your faith to believe that. Because it's true. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit is confirming that word in your heart. I absolutely believe that we're going to experience, and by we, I'm saying the whole body of Christ, a true revival in our day. That the body of Christ is going to be restored to use, filled with vigor, and active in ministry again. We will see lives absolutely transformed. We will see people get healed. We will see them get whole. We've received prophetic words from the Lord about emotional, physical, mental healing. And we believe God spoke it and we believe He's going to do it, but only He can. It's not something that we can plan or set just like a revival, but God can and He will because He said He will. Scripture came to mind as we were worshiping. I'll read this and then we'll close. 
I was thinking about the, you know, the overwhelmingness of, of the kind of prayer that we talked about that Seymour was doing five hours a day and then seven hours a day and even one, two, three, four hours a day that some of the other people I read, you know, were doing. And while there, like I said, there is no wasted time in prayer, those, those weren't works that those men did that got them something. What Seymour described is he had a heart that so wanted more of a relationship with God that's how, that's how much time he was willing to commit to that relationship. But it's not about the amount of time. And this, I just started thinking, I was like, well, God, how, you know, how much time could we pray? And this is what he brought to mind. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who is it to condemn? Or who is to condemn us? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. He has been praying nonstop for over 2,000 years. And God's going to answer his prayers. He's going to answer them for his body, for his children, for his sons, for his daughters. Not because of what we've done, not because of our righteousness, not because of our works, but because of his grace and mercy and because he loves you. He will transform you. And the Holy Spirit will testify of Christ in you to your children, to your family, to your co-workers. Everywhere you go, you can testify of what God has done. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? As we close, I just ask you to Be quiet and listen. Listen for his voice, to what he's saying, for what he's speaking to you right now in this moment. Is there something that you need to repent of? Is there something you need to give him? Is there a healing that you need? Do you need restoration? Do you need healing in your body? Then ask for it. And I believe he's going to do what what they said about the Azusa Street Revival. I'm not giving a call this morning. There's not an altar call from me this morning. God is. And just listen to what he's saying and respond. Will you pray with me? Tell me, Father. Thank you. 
thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy, Lord. Thank you that your word says that your mercies are renewed every single morning because that's how often we need it. Father, I repent of my sins. I repent of where I've fallen short. I repent of every time that I've put myself in the throne of my heart or put anything else in front of you. God, forgive us. Forgive your bride for falling asleep, for getting so sick that we had to be put in a sick bed. God, our cry is that you would heal us, deliver us, restore us, refresh us, revive us in the name of Jesus. And I pray that you would answer your son's prayers. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If there's someone around you that's been in time with the Holy Spirit, would you please be respectful and just give them their prophecy to spend time with God? 
just like they would for you. One way that we can make room for God, and at New Covenant, we are, we are praying that God would give us very practical and real-life steps to help you walk out your faith. Not just tell you what you should do, but help you go on a walk with us. So one way we can make room for God is to get rid of stuff from our past. We've all got it. I've got it. Uh, one thing we're going to do next Sunday during the 1030 service in the conference room is we're going to have a one-day session. Uh, it's part of the Grief Share program, and it's called Surviving the Holidays. And if you've experienced loss in your life of a loved one or a friend, and that's still affecting you, spend time with Anita Janke next week. She's gifted, and God has anointed her to help people in grief. I talked to a person this week, and it's been 24 years since their sister died, and it still physically affects them. That day comes around, and she is still physically affected 24 years later. So the Holy Spirit's putting putting a feeling in you right now that there's something you need to do. There's a step you need to to make room for God, and it might be letting go of some grief and giving it to God. It might be letting go of some hatred, hatred or some anger. It might be an addiction that you carry around with you that, that consumes you right now. The Holy Spirit's speaking to you about what you can give up to make room for God. So next Sunday, if it's a part of, if grief is a part of your life, spend time with Anita and God at 1030 in the conference room. He will help you with that. Uh, one more thing we'd like to do is get to know you better. If you're new to New Covenant, you've not participated in a connections class, we want to get to know you. So next week as well. But in the fellowship hall during the 1030 service, meet with us. Let us get to know you better and learn more about us as New Covenant. Maybe walk with us towards becoming a member here, however the Holy Spirit leads you. We're not going to have a throne room encounter this month. We normally do on the first Saturday. We're not going to do that. We're going to wait and make that a part of our October 30th, our fifth Sunday celebration. So uh, that won't be here. Uh, everything else that we're doing is on our website, newcovenantlandpasses.com. It's also on our church center app. If you don't have that, ask somebody around you, how do you get the church center app? And they'll show you. Father God, this morning, in your presence, we ask that you remain in us and through us as vessels. Fill us with your spirit so we can take you out. Father God, show us where to pour out your spirit in the workplace, in our homes, and in the marketplace so that your kingdom can be glorified by what you do through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, thank you for being respectful of those around you who are being ministered to. Have a great Sunday. Thank you for listening to this week's message.